Hi, this is Gary Kass, and you're listening to Stuart Pink on Phoenix FM. Yes, it is. And zooming onto the show is animator, illustrator, creative director, my mate, and now a published author, Gary Kass. Hello. Thank you for having me. Hello, Gary. Thanks for coming on. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you. I'm very good. I'm uh, surprisingly cool in uh, what has otherwise been a crazy heat wave for the past uh, two weeks. Finally had my my aircon switched on just in time for the heat wave to go away. Oh, yes. Now it's raining. You've got a nice, cool, cool office. (laughs) (laughs) Zooming in from the fridge then. Is that that the backdrop? Is that where we are? That is essentially it. Yeah, that is it. Awesome. So whereabouts are you zooming in from? Describe the scene, describe the the, the, the location for us. Well, I'm I see a green to screen you. behind you. This is classic animator back then. <laughs> That's so that you can't see my, my terribly plastered office walls. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I'm in the office on a Saturday and uh, I'm coming to you from sunny Stoke. And um, I've been here for 12 years, would you believe? I've, uh, just Twelve long years. Twelve yeah, years of Stoke. Uh, just one, one, one month at a time. Just, uh, just seem to have laid roots here, and uh, it was never part of the plan. But here, here we are. <laughs> so, as I'm sure we'll become apparent to you in the course of our chat, we've known each other for a long time. Uh, I haven't seen you there for ages. Probably those twelve years, uh, or longer, maybe. Um, I think so. I've, I think so. Yeah. I read on the Castle Waterman website, they described you as a uh, a lover of retro games, drinks a smoothie a day and acts like an old man. So uh, <laughs> nice to see you've not changed a bit, Gary. No, not much. Not much. <laughs> uh, the um, Yeah, we, ha- we have a games culture here at the company where um, it's kind of one of those things where as a team, we like to you know, make sure that as well as working on all of the animated videos, we get together at lunchtime, sometimes after work as well, and we've got break times. We'll get together and we've got TV screens with uh, Nintendo 64s hooked up to them, Xboxes, Playstations, wow. and you get to sort of just you know spend your lunch gaming with with the team. And it's just nice because you know you've got you've got creative directors here, you've got producers here, and then you've got uh, you know, runners and assistant animators and assistant producers. And we just get to get together in that same space and play Halo or play Mario Kart. And oh, all of wow. those, all of those, uh, you know, uh, office structural hierarchies are stripped away and you're, 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 you're using the blue shell on your boss and it feels good. <laughs> that means nothing in a game of Mario Kart. <laughs> exactly. Everyone's on an even playing field. <laughs> Who's the best gamer there? Is, is there like a, a league table? Yeah, we did. We did a FIFA tournament, and um, a guy called a guy called Tom uh, won that. That was a little while ago now, though. Um, like I say, uh, at first when we first started in two thousand and nine, uh, we were we were all just twenty. We were just nineteen and twenty years old. Yeah. So we we're all we we're all in tip top condition when it came to gaming. Uh, now we're in our thirties. <laughs> anyone pretty much anyone can beat me at any game now i'm slow i'm not up to date oh, no. my, uh, all my all my awesome gaming reflexes have gone so it's uh <laughs> yeah when, I, when i'm playing halo when i'm playing tony hawks whatever it is i'm getting outdone by these uh by these youngsters these coming kids. up to, oh, coming no. up the chain <laughs> amazing have you still got the same nintendo wii i think we used to play on 
back in the day? Ooh, I don't think I have. I mean, it's yeah. still at my dad's ah. house. There's still a Nintendo Wii at my dad's house. Um, <laughs> do you know something? When I play those games, or should I, not when I play those games, actually, when I, when I think about playing those games, uh, I feel I get this warm sensation inside and I'm just really nostalgic and happy to be uh, going back and revisiting those things. Yeah. Put me on the game. Put me on the game for 20 minutes. And I'm hating it. I'm just like, ah, oh, this game. I forgot how frustrating this game is. This game's <laughs> rubbish. Turning Look at the off. graphics on that. Oh, yeah. terrible. And then a, you know, a couple of days later, be like, oh, I remember when I was 12 playing on that game in my bedroom. Oh, I miss it so much. I'll have to get that out and try it again. It was such a wonderful time. <laughs> Never learn. It's like a moth to the flame. That's exactly what it is. Like I'm off to the flame. My flame is my Nintendo. Off to the game. Hey. <laughs> the yeah, I, think I'll, I think I'll write that one down. Actually, if you don't mind, I'll take that. <laughs> All yours. <to> the game. <laughs> so before we talk about your your brand new book, uh, let's get everyone and me up to speed. Uh, where did your journey into animation and visual effects start? My God. Well, you remember Tim Smith, the DT teacher of Brother Community High School. Legend of the game, yes, I Legends, do. Who I'm still in touch with now. I'm ah. very, uh, very thankful to say. Um, Hello, Tim. Tim, Tim was uh, someone who basically just sparked something in me when I was 15. I was just coming back from basketball practice. I don't know if you remember, but I used to play a lot of basketball in high school. Yeah, you were like Michael Jordan of Brother uh, <laughs> High School. <laughs> without yeah without any of the skills but yeah um and on the way back from the basketball practice uh jamie wanted jamie is my friend uh still is my friend he wanted to nip in and i think he was picking up a camera to do some film work because he was much more into filming than i was and um when we were there tim was teaching the the class which was a an extra it was a it was an extracurricular class it was after school it was an after school club and um, I saw what he was doing. It was taking Jamie a while to get the camera sorted out because he had to do something with it before he took it away. And um, I just got involved. I think Tim offered, he said, do you want to have a shot? So I was like, yeah, I'll have a shot. And um, found it really therapeutic. It was the first bit of artwork I'd done where I was zoned in on it. And um, two hours just flew by and I'd been doing this um stop motion animation on a whiteboard with a piece of plasticine and a black marker pen. And it was, um, yeah, it was just the first time I'd ever, I'd ever kind of zoned in on artwork and enjoyed the, um, the therapeutic feelings that artwork that, you know, really good artwork uh, brings to, uh, to you. And um, then the key thing happened the, the key thing, uh, Tim looked at it and made a really big deal out of it. He said, that's fantastic. That's really good work. And funnily enough, at that age, when you're 15, that kind of positive feedback, that kind of uh, encouragement really means a lot. And Absolutely. when he did that, when he did that, that just made me, that just made me feel really uh, confident and just just good about animation and good about myself. I was like, wow, I, what, what do you mean I'm good at something? I'm good at something? Ah. <laughs> oh, I might give it another try then. I want to. I want to try that again. So um, I went home and dug out my webcam, pulled my laptop out, downloaded some software, stole my brother's plasticine, 
<laughs> set up in there, set up just in the living room on a, I think it was on a dinner mat. You know, those uh, wooden ones. It's like on a wooden dinner mat. Oh, yeah, yeah. And um, I animated just more stuff. I just animated this plasticine dog uh, taking a dump. And then the, the dump kind of came to life <laughs> and jumped back inside the dog. Uh, I animated some <laughs> dinosaurs. I animated a cat and mouse. And uh, I took these videos back to Tim because uh, I think it was over a weekend I did that. I took it back to Tim and showed him. And he put it on the big screen in front of the whole class. Whoa, whoa, big premiere. I know. And I was just like, holy, wow. And the feedback was just, again, really positive. And I think I just, I think it just gave me, I, I wouldn't want to call it a calling, but it gave me a, a sense of um, accomplishment and it gave me like a, a sense of purpose. Like I'm good at this. I should keep doing it. And again, at that age, that was, uh, that was the first time that that had ever happened. And uh, yeah, here I am 16 years later. Uh, still, you know, still doing that, and uh, it's uh, it's all thanks to Tim and that class. Amazing! Still playing with plasticine from time to time. <laughs> I wish there is. It's funny actually. <laughs> in the in the studio, we do have some plasticine models that I made probably 10, 12 years back, which Daniel had them. Um, he had them oh. sprayed, and they're up on they're up on display now as a bit of memorabilia for where the studio started. But no, plastic, unfortunately, plasticine animation is very expensive and very time consuming and not very scalable when it comes to a smaller business like ours. Mm. So um, rather than trying to become the next Walls and Gromits, Stan and I found that it was essential to skill up in computer animation and try to become the next Pixar instead of the next Ardman. Try to become the uh, next Toy Story rather than the next Walls and Gromit. Yes, that's that the future of, of animation. <laughs> yes, that's the dream. <laughs> so this, this spawned, obviously, eventually Castle Waterman Productions. Um, I've, I've looked you guys up. You, you've done some stuff that I, I've actually watched and I had no idea. At least, one of us, at least one of us has. <laughs> By the time we finish working on these things, we, we don't watch them on TV because it's like when you watch your own work, all you can do is criticize it. Yeah, we were busting holiday, I imagine. You know, oh, see, I told you we should change that bit. <laughs> That's it. That's exactly what happens. <laughs> but I watch things like Liar. I've seen Inside Number Nine. I've not seen Balance, Not Symmetry, but I really want to. It's, it's great. But all these projects and stuff, are they, are they kind of things you look back on and think, that was amazing. Or is it like that was a lot of time? They're great. They're funny because um, they're great. They're great stories and they're great memories in hindsight um, because they're so exciting. And but when you when you're in the thick of it, when you're in the thick of the project, um, it's it's like any job really. It's a lot of uh, a lot of hard work. Uh, you've got a lot of stress on your shoulders. You really want to make it look great. There's nothing more exciting than when it's just happened lately. A, a project comes through the door. Let's just go with um, the, the Keith and Paddy show on ITV2. When that showed up, it was so exciting because we were told that we were going to be animating these parody scenes from Star Wars, from Jurassic Park, and it was going to be on TV and we we're going to animate these dinosaurs and we we're going to animate the Death Star and lightsabers. And it was, it was just like, wow. Yeah. It's like, that sounds so exciting. Great. Let's do it. And the moment the project kicks off 
is the moment all of that disappears and you go into professional mode and you're no longer a fanboy who's getting to animate a dinosaur from Jurassic Park. You're an animator who needs to figure out how to animate a two million pound dinosaur on point one of a budget Uh, and in two weeks. (laughs) It's just like, oh, Christ, what have we? Oh, okay. Let's let's try and figure this out now. Let's how do we do this? How's this actually gonna happen? But if you haven't done it in two weeks, you're going to annoy Keith Lemon and uh, ITV2. <laughs> Paddy would not be happy. <laughs> Paddy will not be happy that I couldn't remember his surname. <laughs> <laughs> so when, you, when you're doing this sort of stuff, do you have a feeling when you're working on it, this is going to be something really big? Or is it a case of you do it and, and it, it does what it does after you, you've done your, put your stamp on it? You're, uh, I think for me anyway, you're definitely in a bubble you're in. It's just you and the, in, you know, in the case of Keith and Paddy's show, um, it's just you and the dinosaur. <laughs> <laughs> you're, yeah. on the, you're on the screen. You've, you've somehow managed to get a model of a dinosaur made. You've somehow managed to get that dinosaur rigged up for animation. And um, it's just about one step at a time animating that dinosaur frame by frame. And you're never happy with it at the end. It, I, I'm the worst for it. I'm always saying, okay, I've, I've finished, but I'm going to come back to that tomorrow after I've just let it rest overnight. Because yeah, yeah. I think tomorrow when I watch it, there'll be changes. And my project manager will say, what's that? You're happy with it? No, no, I'm <laughs> going to work on it again tomorrow. I, look, if you finished, I'm just going to send it on. It's like, oh, uh, 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 yeah, I suppose you got to draw a line somewhere, yeah. Yeah, and what happens is she sends it over to, uh, you know, ITV. They look at it, and then they come back and say, oh, we didn't want that kind of dinosaur. We wanted a pterodactyl. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm glad I didn't obsess over that then. Yeah, spent an extra three days working on the one you didn't want. (laughs) It it happens so much. So as someone who's who's done animation and worked in this line of work for a lot for a while, what would your advice be to someone who just fancies having a go at some animation or, or uh, someone in school, in college, who, who's no idea where to start? Oh, there, well, there is, there is nothing to stop you from getting started and don't feel like you have to come to a studio like Carson Waterman or you have to go to Staffs Uni or you have to go to Staffs Uni is where I am. That's the university that I went to, which is a mm. fantastic university. Um, but don't feel like these, um, these gatekeepers decide whether or not you can be an animator or not. I just grabbed a bit of plasticine, grabbed a webcam and I'd finished free animations in a couple of days. And that was it. You know, you just, you're learning. You don't need somebody else to set you up. And really the very best people who come through Carson Waterman are the ones who are self-taught. Yeah. And it's not just because they're self-taught and they've, it, it, it's because they've got the motivation to go online and look up those YouTube videos, go online and figure out how to download some free animation software. And then just they're persistent enough and passionate enough to work and work and practice and practice and just drill and drill until they get really good. The people who do it the other way around, who go to university or, or go to an online animation school before they start doing anything at all, sometimes that's a sign that actually it's not for them. It's it's not the right, because animation's really hard. Got to be a passion. So, 
Oh yeah. When you're, when you're in the thick of it, if, I think that's kind of how I know I love animation because I, you're willing to put up with animation. <laughs> that's, that's how you know, that's how you know you love it. Um, so yeah, those self-taught, uh, those kids who, when they're teenagers, they're in their, in their bedroom with the laptop, learning animation by themselves. Those are the guys who are passionate enough to get through some of the really challenging experiences that you have to get through when you're animating um, in the industry. Nice. Good advice. So, so grab some plasticine, get yourself a webcam, off you go. <laughs> you really, really can. The, uh, there's, there's a fantastic piece of software out there for computer animation called Blender. It's completely free and we use it in a professional studio and loads of other companies that we know use it as well. So that's there for you. That's free. There's thousands of animation videos, animation tutorial videos on YouTube that you can watch for free. The only thing it'll cost you is your time. And again, if you care enough about animation, then you'll, you know, you'll do the time and you'll, you'll figure it out. Likewise with uh, Stopmo, you've got to go and buy a bit of plasticine. You got to buy a camera maybe, but again, just a webcam will do. And um, yeah, apart from that, the only expense is your time. Exactly. I like it. So with all your experience in, in animation, Gary, uh, visual effects on the big screen, what's prompted your, your, you to channel all of this into a book, a completely different medium? Well, it's down to, I think it's down to having always wanted to write a book because I, I wrote when I was um, at high school and even before that, um, I did write a few stories and what I I've always been someone who carries around, you probably do this uh, as a comedian. I've always carried around first in paperback format and now on my phone in the form of notes, I carried around a notebook and that notebook gets added to pretty much every day, maybe every couple of days. Yeah. yeah I'll just be in a shop. Something funny will happen. I'll jot it down. Uh, <laughs> Uh, my, um, my, my daughter will do something. She'll say something and I'll be like, huh, she did, she did this just the other day. She, um, she said to me, um, oh, I'm detention proof today. <laughs> like, what? Detention what do you mean? Proof. What do you mean you're detention proof? Well, I'm detention proof. It's, um, I'm, I'm coming out of school today to go to the dentist and I've got to come out of school at, at uh, half past 12. So they cannot put me on detention because I won't be able to do it. Because I'm going to the dentist. And I was like, huh, what an she's interesting thing. You're detention proof. Yeah, she's worked that out. So I got my notepad out and I wrote it down. <laughs> and in one of my stories now, the character in it says, oh, I'm going to be detention proof today. So I was writing all kinds of things like that down in high school. I would actually write down what uh, certain teachers of ours would say um, and some of the back and forth banter between teachers and, and some of the kids yeah. Um, but I was always doing that and, and I was putting those things into scripts. So I was putting those things into short film scripts, into TV scripts, but with TV scripts and short film scripts, probably about 70% of them uh, don't manage to get all the way over the line. Yeah. And, you know, most of my scripts, have um like I've, I've written feature film scripts for animation i've written um screenplays for sitcoms and i've written children's animation scripts and 
a lot of them have gone through to the proof of concept stage where they'll use the script and they'll create a pilot episode using that script, following that script. But then the actual show itself wasn't successful and didn't manage to get picked up. And so your script never sees the light of day. And after, after having been doing it for, for over a decade, I started to realize that loads of my favorite characters and favorite ideas, favorite bits of dialogue, favorite and some some things that really I found really funny to write and really funny to create. No one's ever seen them. Yeah, they just get lost in the, in the abyss. Yeah, I've got ki- I've got I've got like full episodes of kids animation which have never seen the light of day because they didn't get picked up. Oh, no. And and it's one of those where my you know my um my fiance has seen them my daughter's seen them and they laugh and they love them and they think they're funny and within the studio we all sometimes quote the projects that we've done in the past and it always <laughs> makes me in a bittersweet way it makes me think oh now if only other people could get in on that on that joke or get in on that quote but they can't because they never got to see it because it didn't make it so that was when i decided you know what, I'm going to start writing things in books and get them published instead because it's <laughs> it's by no means easier, but it just means that my eggs aren't all in one basket when it comes to those ideas and things that I've written getting out there into the world. That's it. I think you're more in control, I guess, of that as it's just you and you're writing it and you're illustrating it to, to put it together. Pretty much. You um, you know, the 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 publishing industry, which I'm very new to, so I don't want to uh I don't want to talk too much about uh what I know about the industry. <laughs> I I don't know that much, but um I've got I'm surrounded by some really great uh mentors who tell me that um you know they, they tell me all about what to expect and, and how to go about things. Um but essentially I'll I'll write something uh, my copy editor will then read it. She'll then say to me, uh, you might want to cut that out or you blabbering a bit there. This is going on a bit too long. That gag there, I don't get it. How's that funny? Um, <laughs> yeah. and, a, and a recent example is um, I put a gag in that uh, was using the Geordie accent. So just imagine that for oh, a second. Yeah. Imagine, re- imagine reading the Geordie accent in a book. That's Yeah, that's quite tricky. Yeah, I'll read. I mean, I mean, I didn't, I didn't know where, I didn't know where he's gone. Like, just like old it, times. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Imagine reading that though in phonetic language on the yeah. page. Yeah. yeah, my copy I'll... editor, who's American, was just like, "Whoa, what is, what he is saying? this? What is this? Gan and Divin and what? What does <laughs> what does how what does how we mean? Is that what? It's like <laughs> that's Hawaii, and that means come on." Just like, yeah, I don't think it's a good idea to do this. <laughs> so it's it's one of those where you, you get to sort of first of all enjoy that, you know, just enjoy those reactions. But um ultimately, I, I in that case, I said to her, look, I'll dial a, I'll dial the Geordie accent down so that an American can understand it. But that's ultimately I want the Geordie accent to be in this book and I want it to get out there into the uh, into the world so that people can enjoy it. And I yeah. think that there is a middle ground where we can have the accent, but have it in a way where an American is able to read it and uh, and understand it. But once that's done, it then goes to the press and it gets published. And that means it's then on Amazon. It's then on 
uh, Goodreads and Kobo and Barnes and Noble, and people can buy it and people can read it. So it's by no means the same as having a, a platform like Netflix, who would you know buy some or, or ITV, who would buy something and then put it on the TV for millions of people to watch. It's not the same, you know. It's it's more it's more going to be a couple of hundred people who buy the book and read it. Yeah, but it still means that more than just me and my friends and team in the studio more than more people get to see it than just us it's got a platform it's there for, for yeah exactly millions to buy and enjoy <laughs> <laughs> well it's, it's one of them where i'm happy if 10 people read it cover to cover because that's 10 more people than some yeah. of the shows i've written that i've never managed to get out into the world beautiful so you've written and illustrated this is a children's story What's it called? And what can you tell us a bit about? What can you tell us about it? Well, it's called The Crab Who Went to the Moon. And it's all about a socially anxious crab called Shelley, who is attacked <laughs> and chased out of her sand burrow and forced to escape into the sea. And that may sound bad, but it is nowhere near as bad as what she then is faced with, which is the prospect of having to make friends with other people. It's really going back to um, how I used to feel when I was a uh, young teenager. New people and the prospect of talking to someone you don't know and having to make friends with a new group. Scary, it man. Was, it was scary, wasn't it? And yeah, it was people not like me pleasant. in the same school. That was not easy. Yeah, it was. <laughs> it was. And it was, uh, <laughs> I just realized what you said there. No, you were one of the exceptions. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's what I'm trying to channel is how I felt at school. And then Shelly is out there in the sea and she's meeting new characters, new people who are a little bit on the eccentric side, a little bit on the scary side. And she's having to stop hiding away, stop hiding under her uh, under her uh, tin can, which she carries around everywhere. She's having to actually speak to people. <laughs> And it's um yeah it's 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 really about her it's uh, you know excuse the pun but it's about Shelley coming out of her shell. That's a beautiful message. I think this happens a lot in animation. Is this something you picked up working in that field where you you take something and you turn it into a a theme for a, for a child to to latch onto and, and understand more about? Yeah, well that's the essence of storytelling. That's why we tell stories is to learn lessons and to sort of pass. Um, cautionary tales onto uh onto onto the rest of the tribe it's um <laughs> it's it's definitely one of those where i've um as i've gone through this as i've gone through the book i've realized that this book is for eight to twelve year olds and it would have been much better if i'd known that at the beginning okay but hey yeah. hey ho um, the reason <laughs> i say that is because it's it's the book is is 300 pages long and it's definitely for uh, an intermediary reader, someone who can pick up a book like, uh, you know, um, a David Walliams book or a Jacqueline Wilson book, a child who can pick that up and get through that and enjoy that. It's not for a five-year-old or a six-year-old because they just won't be able to read it. Um, and then the, the actual content of the story as well, it's about social anxiety. And I don't think very many five-year-olds will manage to understand you know, that. They might get it when they read what the crab's going through. But, yeah. You know, it's for those eight to 12-year-olds who can sit 
actually read the book and then understand how it feels to be a new kid in a new school talking to new people. Oh, lovely stuff. There's another theme in the book about, about pollution. Yeah. Yeah. I was, um, I was, I was with um, the, the local newspaper in Stoke have been kind enough to um, put a press release out about this book. And uh, we were chatting a lot about the ocean pollution aspect of it. And it's, it's something that I've always been really bothered about. I think most people are quite concerned about ocean pollution and about climate change for one reason or another. And um, I realized about halfway through the book, I realized, hang on, this is a book that is set in the ocean. I can pollute this ocean. I can make this, I can take ocean pollution and I can really highlight it in this book. Yeah. And that's something that is actually really, really important. My um, daughter, who's 12, she won't necessarily hear about ocean pollution or understand ocean pollution unless she sees it in her media contents, in her books, on her games. Yeah, and in her world. Yeah, exactly. And so to reach that age group, that 8 to 12 age group, I decided to put tons of litter in the sea, put tons of oil in the sea, and make make it so that the pollution, the microplastics, make it so that they are actually there in the background affecting the characters that the children are reading about. When the pirate starfish and the mad scientist prawn the pirate starfish has a bad stomach all the time because of the plastic. The scientist prawn has a hacking cough because of the pollution that's in the ocean. The crab gets injured a few times when a piece of plastic or glass, you know, rubs against her. She goes up in a rocket at the end and crashes through the barrier of junk and it, you know, she gets injured from that. Yeah. And I thought that's a much better way to talk to children about ocean pollution than preaching to them or teaching to them like you're in school. It's much better to take an animated character and have that character be physically harmed by the trash that's in the ocean so that they can see in their storybook oh, that's why that's a problem because it's really harming it the marine life and it's really damaging the ocean habitats. And that's why we need to, and I, I don't know about you, Stu, but for me, a lot of what I care dearly about comes from when I was a child. That stuff that you consume when you're a child stays with you into all the way up into adulthood. So my my I really, really hope that it's only going to be a small drop in the ocean excuse the point uh, yeah but i really hope that the book helps the adults in 10 years time have empathy and have awareness of ocean pollution so that they could do something about it absolutely plant the seed early on i think that happens so often in, in stuff you consume as a child because you don't you don't notice it going in and then suddenly you're you're old enough to to understand this stuff and you just already understand it because absolutely you knew it i completely heaven. agree uh, it's almost part of your intuition as an adult you just already know about that because and you're not sure how and why but sometime in the past when you were a child you remember it being brought up in that film or in that story and now you're an adult you can objectively think about how to help nice so have your kids seen it about the right age for the book well, unfortunately, uh, when I started writing it, my daughter was, uh, was eight, so that was perfect. And 
she's still willing to read it, but she's getting to the point, <laughs> you know, she's, she's 12 going on 18. Yeah. So she's willing to read it, but I am, um, I'm starting to realize that I've missed the boat. Oh no. <laughs> However, the next stage bracket. <laughs> I know I was going to say, however, I've got, um, I've got a, a, a baby on the way. She's going to be arriving in September. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, I'm going to have a little girl and um, I'm I'm dedicating the book to her in the hope that in eight years time, <laughs> she'll she read, read it. it. <laughs> <laughs> so then I'll have at least one reader. So eight, eight years, years time, time, you'll get your, your first get, review. I'll finally get my first. Yeah, I'll get my first <laughs> review from my own from my own daughter. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful stuff. So how, how did the planning process go for you? Was it was it storyboards and illustrations? Uh, before the words on the page, given your 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 animation background, or or did you start writing first? No, you're absolutely right. I um, used a lot of what I knew about writing scripts, and I, I will say I did that naively. I thought it was going to be the same, and uh, I found that it's not. It's very <laughs> very different. Um, I started with yellow sticky notes and a whiteboard, so you know, uh, intro, <laughs> the, <laughs> the sand cave. I'll write that on the sticky note and then underneath I'll write Shelly is hiding in her sand cave. And then the next sticky note along the seagulls attack. And then underneath Shelly is attacked and chased out of her sand cave by seagulls, et cetera, et cetera. And then you just do that with yellow sticky notes all the way through until you get to the end. And then when you're at the end, you then look back over it all and rearrange the sticky notes to make some kind of plot and to give it some kind of a rhythm so yeah. that it is compelling to watch and interesting and doesn't uh, drag or get slow in any bits. Nice. Exactly. As you would do a Hollywood film. So, so when you, you do that, that's it. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. That's exactly how we do it with the Hollywood films. And um, when it came to the drawing side of it, I didn't do any drawing. I actually just left it with sticky notes and focused on, on writing and uh, it wasn't until the illustrations came along towards the end that I actually finally started to use my um, equipment here at the studio to create the illustrations. Nice. So what's more stressful for you, the animation side of things, working in the TV and the films and the, and the, the, the screen stuff or, or writing and, and doing it on the, on the page? Well, in a very good way, the most stressful of the two is the writing because I don't know what I'm doing with um, <laughs> the animation. Uh, I've, I've just come to understand how to do that. And I'm very confident and happy doing what I've been doing since I was 15. I know what to do with the yeah. anime, with the writing. Like it's been a huge learning curve. I've actually been writing this book for three years. It's been a huge, huge learning curve of, I mean, first of all, in our high school, our English teacher, if I, if I was to go back there now and say, I, I, I wrote a novel, he would roll his <laughs> eyes and go, oh, God, really? You wrote a novel? <laughs> Especially when you tell him there's a Geordie accent in there. <laughs> yeah, he would, um, he, would, he, would, he would roll his eyes and say, surely you didn't write a novel. Agreed. You were never, you were never the kid in my class that I thought would write a novel. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I had to basically really up my English and um, I'm still upping my English now. I'm by no means as good as I want to be, but um, yeah, I had to go on an online course and just refresh on how to use 
punctuation and grammar. My spelling is horrendous. And <laughs> so I had to buy software uh, like Grammarly to go oh, yeah. over all of my all of my typos. And um, <laughs> I'm remarkable at rambling, as you're probably getting from this interview. So some of my sentences <laughs> go on for ages before a full stop finally releases the reader from <laughs> what seems like a never-ending use of commas. To be fair, so, Shakespeare had all the same jokes, so you'll go <laughs> yeah, far. <he> did. <laughs> but yeah, so learning that side of the English has been a, just a massive uphill uh, learning curve. But I've, I've actually come to realize that it's, it's better when I'm feeling stressed and uncomfortable. That's why I said at the beginning, it's been a positive thing because when you're, you're when you're comfortable, you're not learning anything. And when you're, when you're not, it's just a sign that you're in the process of mastering something. That's how I like to think of it. So poetically, you have come out of your shell during this process. <laughs> you know, I thought about saying that, but I thought, no, nah, that's too cheesy. You said it instead. <laughs> I knew you knew I'd go there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I left that one out on the table for you. <laughs> so it's finally here. Three years on, all the stress and all the worry. You've done it, Gary. Well done. Oh, thank you. I am. Um, I'm not ready to release it. I don't want to release it. But I know, just like my project manager always <laughs> says to me, "Get it out. It's fine." I know I've got to release it. And my copy editor's happy. She's, she said, this is fine. It's in good English. It's a good story. And it should um, be received well by those seven or eight people who find it online. Well, I've got to say, I'm, I'm 30 plus, as you know, and I'm excited to read it. So <laughs> I will send you a copy. I'll send you a free copy so that, uh, you, so that you, can, you can have a flick through. I'll read little chapters out on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> that would be amazing that would be really really funny to listen to your audience go through this uh this socially anxious <laughs> crabs journey <laughs> <laughs> gary thank you so much for coming on for a chat and uh for, for joining us this morning where, a quick reminder where, where people can uh can find out more about you and uh, where they can find the book the best thing to do is type the crab who went to the moon into google bing yahoo whatever it is you're using um, otherwise you can go to Gary children'sbooks.com and you'll find it there. But then of course, Amazon sells everything. So you will find it there. The book is being released on the 30th of August and, uh, I'll be putting some kind of little promotion up there so that it's, uh, it's nice and easy to buy, shall we say? So, uh, Excellent. yes, that's the, that's the lowdown. I saw it charted already when I looked this morning. <laughs> Exciting. Yeah, I was, I was super lucky. I put it on, put it on pre-order. Uh, I, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to have supportive family and friends and they went and pre-ordered it immediately. And Amazon was just like, wow, well, you're number one then. I was hey, like, hey. oh, goodness me. Okay. So I sent thank you messages to everyone saying, thank you. You've made me number one. I'm really happy. <laughs> if David Walliams quaking in his boots. Oh God, maybe one day, but uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Gary, I wish you all the best of it. Thanks for coming on and uh, I look forward to reading it. We'll speak soon. Thanks so much, Stu. Bye for now. Massive thanks to Gary Cass for taking the time for a chat about his new book, The Crab Who Went to the Moon. Uh, I have, as he said, had a flick through and it is just wonderful. The illustrations, as I knew they would be, are absolutely fantastic. Uh, the characters are brilliant 
and it might be aimed at 8 to 12 year olds. But I'm 30 plus, and I've got to tell you, I really enjoyed it. As you just heard him speak about, uh, Gary takes on some really important themes in this book, um, like social anxiety for children uh, and ocean pollution, and he blends them in just beautifully to a really entertaining story. Uh, I had a lot more fun reading than any 30-something should out loud inventing my own accents you know you know the scene so gary also gave us some great insight and advice for budding animators uh, and i'll definitely be sending him my first stab at animating some plasticine look out for that one and uh, there's a link in the podcast description and online to the websites gary mentioned and you can get your copy of the crab who went to the moon at gary Thanks for listening, and if you enjoyed the interview, then please share it. Uh, If you didn't enjoy it, then share it anyway. (laughs) For more guest interviews like this, or to get the next one delivered directly to your device, subscribe to the Now You're Talking podcast. You'll find it wherever you get your podcasts from, and the whole thing has become a huge library featuring well over 150 guest interviews from music, film, comedy icons to community heroes, local legends, stars of the future and just about everybody in between. A treasure trove of life's stories from all sorts of incredible people. So for more interviews, podcasts, videos, poems and books, everything I do is available at stuartpink.com.